God, we thank you so much for just who you are, God, and what you're calling us to here. God, I pray that you would open our ears to hear your word today. God, I pray that you would take away distractions, take away pride and uh, selfishness that might be rooted deep. God, any layer that's over our heart that shouldn't be there, that the, the enemy tries to put forth any stronghold, God, I pray that you would just remove it today so that all of us can hear what you want to speak to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, today we're going to be talking about me, but the need for we. All right, we talked about uh, several uh, weeks ago about revival um, can start with just one, right? And that's great, and it, it, and it can. But today we're actually going to talk about we, what that looks like as a body. But in our culture, we, um, we tend to like to say it's all about me. Right? In church world, you hear, well, I'm going to go to this church because I get fed here. Or I'm not going to go there because I don't get fed. And so even in church world, it can easily be about you. What's in it for you or what's in it for me? And it's really dangerous. Very dangerous. And so, you know, I've been in uh, Chick-fil-A in management for years now. And I've been a part of Salisbury community, Rowan County community for a good five years now. And so I'm starting to see something that's in our culture, and that is a me mentality, a me type culture. So people come through Chick-fil-A, and I've been in marketing for, for four years now, and now I'm transitioning into the hiring and training aspect of, of management at Chick-fil-A, but I've heard all kinds of complaints. Jesse can attest to this. He works as manager there, too. We have heard all kinds of stuff. But one of those is people coming and wanting free food, which we're a very generous company, and so we give a lot. We give a lot. And I'm not going to name names or anything, um, but there was one particular lady that this week I had to address. For the past six months, I have heard from her at least once, sometimes twice a week. Hey, Dustin, this is so-and-so again, and I, I, I just need 10 to 15 sandwiches this time. Can, can you donate that for me? The first time, about six months ago, yeah. Week after week after week, she kept on calling, wanting about 10 to 15 sandwiches. At this point, I'm a little irritated, and so I said, I'm sorry, but we're not a charity. We're a business. We love to give back into our community, but there reaches a point where we just have to say no. And she said, oh, that is something I did. I said, ma'am, I feel like you're trying to take advantage of us. And so I explained to her, and which it was funny because then she said, well, I've been praying about it. And I was like, 
I've been praying about it too, and I'm saying no, right? <laughs> um, but there, that's just one story of what we hear, right? And we're we're a very generous company. We give a lot, a lot. Um, then people just feeling like they can complain just to complain because we'll give it to them because we're generous, right? This this type of culture, especially just around Salisbury. This entitlement-type culture, this me-driven-type culture, it gets old after a while, right? And so today, we're going to talk about that, what that means. And for me, um, as a pastor, I find it's very rooted in, in selfishness, right? If Jesus was selfless, the opposite would be selfish. And I think that that is a lot of the root of what we experience in our day-to-day when it comes to, to sin, social sin and things like that. And so today I just want to address it head on. I grew up in a church where the focus was on personal salvation to the extreme, where it was ingrained in me, drove drove deep in me. Dustin, you have to have a personal salvation story. You have to be in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're not, then you're going to spend eternity in hell, is what was typically the phrase that was ingrained in me over and over again. To the point, for me, I, t- I tended to to run from that until I was 17, and I actually encountered Christ. But what I found in that type of environment where it's, that's the constant message, you get to see one glimpse of the story. Because if that was the full story of the gospel, and you've heard me say this before, if that was the full story of the gospel, why didn't baby Jesus... Born like the prophecy said, right? Born of a virgin. Why didn't they take him, hang him up on a a tree as an infant baby Jesus and crucify him then? If it was just about our salvation. If it was just about our personal relationship with him, right? And making that right. But there's more. There is so much more. And so just seeing that one side of of the message of Jesus growing up, I realized that there was so much more that others were missing, and I was missing, and that was the side of community. Whenever we are born, reborn, start following Jesus, says that we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. And being as sons and daughters, it's not just isolation, right? Because whenever you're sons and daughters, you're a part of what? A family, a community. So now we are part of the family of God. And for me, that was so much, so liberating. That I don't have to go through life alone. And see, you can see how God loved community and desired community all the way back to the creation story. Where Adam was made, but it wasn't good for him to be alone. 
And so that relationship, the need for relationship was birthed. So for the Christian faith, it's both personal. So I don't want to take away that it's not personal. Okay, so hear me out. It's not, it's not saying that it's not, but it's also more than that. So it's both personal and collective. As, as followers of Christ, um, and especially us here uh, today, most of us, I think, would declare that we are monotheistic, that we believe in one true God. Yes, there is a, a world full of many little gods, but we believe in one true God. But also, there, we are Trinitarian. We believe that God is three, Father, Son, and Spirit. If you, ever, if you were able to, to go and listen to um, Pastor Anthony during the revival uh, service this past Sunday, he actually talked about Trinity and how the community was formed around the Trinity. And we are called to be that as a body of Christ, the way that the Trinity w- works, we should work. Because you see community in, in the glimpse of the Trinity, where if you want to know the Father, you need to know the Son and the Spirit. If you want to know the Son, you need to know the Father and the Spirit. If you, you want to know the Spirit, you need to know the Father and the Son. And so they're all interconnected, and there's this beautiful harmony. And he, and he talked about the dance, and this just beautiful rhythm of the dance. And so community is needed. We worship God in both personal life and also community life. If it was just personal, then why don't we just stay home? I mean, there's a bunch of TV evangelists, right? We could have all stayed home and watched Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes. But there's more. We gather because there's more than just sitting at home in front of a TV with your personal relationship with Christ. That's why we gather. It says in Scripture that we are to love God and love others. You can't have one without the other. The cross is both vertical and horizontal. So the cross, you know, this, the, the symbol of the cross, I like to look at it, is this you know, relationship with God and us was restored through the cross of Christ. But also... There was the crossbar where our relationships with each other was restored as well. So we're to love God and love others. We're to have personal holiness that leads to social holiness. And so today I want us to see that, yes, revive me, God. Revive me because I need it. I definitely need it. I am not perfect. I don't think anyone here as individuals is perfect. So we need to be revived as individuals. But it's also revive us. Revive us as well as a body. So it's both personal and community. But see, the community, we tend to have different views of community. I just want to clear that up. And some of y'all might have heard this before because I've shared, I spoke on community several times. But the way of Jesus and the way of today, and especially the way of Salisbury, is a lot different. So we talked about entitlement is in our culture. But in the way of Jesus is about empowerment. 
putting others first before ourselves. The way of Jesus says, if you want to be first, you better be last. The way of Jesus wasn't someone serving him, washing his feet. You found him, King Jesus, on the floor cleaning the disciples' feet. That's the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus had poor among them. The early Christians, as they gathered, they had the poor among them. And they were, there was no need in the community because they shared of resources. But here today, we're around. The poor is around. And we see them as a charity that we can drop by and drop a, a, a five and, and feed them. But, oh, we won't welcome them at our tables. The way of Jesus was abundance. This mentality of abundance. See, and we talk about being good stewards of everything of Jesus uh, or everything of God, right? And our resources. It's because we believe at Mission House, we believe that God has all the resources. We, we believe God wants us to redistribute His resources in our community. But the opposite of that is scarcity. This mindset of, of scarcity where, you know, there's, there's not enough, right? God didn't make it uh, enough, so I got to do everything I can to, to get what's mine. And, and I'm going to take and I'm going to climb the corporate ladder and I'm going to kick people down the rungs of the ladder so that I get what I deserve. That scarcity type mentality. See, the way of Jesus is about we. The way of this world is about me. And I know from my experiences that we is so much greater than me. I can do things and I try to do them well. But you give me a team, we can do things really great. With me just doing it, it would probably be pretty good. But we as a team doing it, we can make it great. The way of Jesus is interdependence, where liberation and injustice and, and, and true shalom, shalom is rooted in the way that we do community, the way that we live out the gospel together. But in the way of the world, it's about independence. Independence. I mean, we have declarations, right? We have documents. And the individual is put on high. But really, if we want to look at the true gospel, it's about putting everyone right up. Not just about individualism, but about interdependence. The way of Jesus creates value. The way of the world extracts value. The way of Jesus is about making a difference with your life. The way of the world especially in Salisbury, is about making a dollar. Making a dollar. And so Pastor Anthony, he's gone. He's up in uh, Chapel Hill. And he's at a church where their mission is also their name. He's speaking at Love Chapel Hill. That's, that's the church's name, um, which I think is really cool. <laughs> um, but our, our good friends there um, invited him up to, to speak there. Um, but Matt, Matt Leroy, he just re released a, a new book of his called Paradox. And I was reading about the, um, the, 
in Paradox about community. And, and I just want to read something that he, he wrote that I just thought was really good. We often fall into one of three roles when it comes to building authentic Christian community. First is there's the critic. The critic in authentic Christian community, they ask, what is wrong? What is wrong? The second is the consumer who asks this, what's here for me? What is here for me? And third, the creator. They ask, what can I do? We need all three working together, Matt says, to build authentic Christian community. But don't just be a critic and don't just be a consumer. The goal is to become a creator, cultivating the harvest of community. You see that lived out in Acts 2. And we talked about it a little bit. Acts 2, they, they were in all of God, right? We talked about that the first week. But they also ate together. They gave of their resources. They, they uh, learned together the apostles' teaching. They were just gathering together daily in the temple courts. There was just this beautiful community where it was male, female, rich, poor, you know, all gathering together. So we need each other. We need community. And so today we stand and say, revive us. Revive us. You know, we need each other from when we can, we're on top of the mountain and we're celebrating, right? I would love, I love it whenever we celebrate together. But I also see the need for community and Christian community where we are there during the lowest of lows. I remember a few years ago I lost my father. Uh, my father died of cancer. He had lung cancer. And we were meeting um, with uh, a group in our home, and Tony and Anthony were there. And I just remember just going there and just saying, this sucks. <laughs> and just being able to say that, let stuff off my chest. And they loved on me. They prayed for me. And they were there in a very low point in my life. So the need is great. You know, we also are on this journey together because there's an enemy on the loose. And the enemy wants to do what? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy anything that the, the Lord is wanting to do through us. And so we need each other. And so when it comes to community and when it comes to coming together as one, I think about this. And something that, uh, there's, a, there's one animal, right? I don't really like snakes, don't really like spider, but there's one animal that I despise, but I can learn from. That, no, that's you. I, I, I don't really like cats, but I can deal with cats. Fire ants. I lived in South Carolina for several years, and I grew to hate, despise fire ants. I remember one night, they got in our bed. See, we were living in a very old house that was not, the windows weren't very sealed. So they actually come in, got in the bed. They didn't really like me, but they liked Hannah, and they bit her. And see, most people are allergic of some type with, with these fire ants, okay? Some get really bad. Some get not so bad. But Hannah, her, I think they bit her ankle, if I'm not mistaken, just blew up. It was huge, huge. So these fire ants, they, they got 
love-hate relationship with them things. But what I love about them is that in the middle of a flood, right, floodwaters come and wipe out a colony, you would think. See, fire ants, just one ant by themselves, they would never survive a flood. But the whole colony, what they do is they grab one another's arms. They grab hold of each other with their mouths, and they hold on to each other. And it looks like this. That is a whole colony of fire ants in South Carolina uh, in the last flood that happened a couple of years ago. And they came, and they float down until they find land. And then they start their colony over. And I just thought, man, that is a true picture of how community should be at work. Where we come together, right? A flood can't pull us down. A flood can't destroy us. But together, we can survive just like a fire ant. And so I just love that. And so today, we're actually coming out of Revelation 3. Uh, re- actually, Revelation three fourteen through 22. But before we dig into to that scripture and just spend some time there, I want to address a mindset that's in the church. See, we're dealing with, in this, in Revelation 3, a lot of people don't like to camp out in Revelation very much because it's kind of scary. But I kind of like the letters that Jesus wrote because in my mind I think, hmm, what if Jesus were to write to the church of 2016? See, the mindset in a lot of churches, though, is that he would write to Mission House. Or he would write to the Catholic Church that's right across the road from us. Or he would write to First Baptist downtown. That would be a lot of uh, letters to write. But that's not, not the way that Jesus did. If we did that, then it would be pictured in Revelation. What he does is he would write a letter to the church of Salisbury or the church of Rowan County. And my question is, what would he say? I think we'd be surprised. I think he didn't address our entitlement. I think he would address our love for money. I think he would address our greed. I I think he would address the way that we treat the poor. I think that you would address racism, sexism, all different kinds of isms that live in Rowan County. I think he would address that. But the mindset is, is that, oh, he would, invite, he would write my individual church. No. The church is way bigger than Mission House. The body of Christ is way bigger than even the church of Salisbury. Our, the church of Christ is worldwide, global, where we couldn't even speak each other's language, right? Where we would worship different. All right, I remember going to Haiti uh, many years ago, and I just love the joy that was in that place, right? I'm there, I'm among the poorest of poors in our uh, world, where they're living off of $1, $2 a day. And I came and uh, was at a church service, and they come dancing down the aisle to give what little they had. And it just blew my mind. I was like, man, 
When's the last time I was in a church in America and saw dancing to give offering? <laughs> so let's look. What would God say to the church in Revelation? And just maybe, what would he say here to the church of Salisbury? Revelation 3. Revelation 3, starting with 14. To the angel of the church of Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I say, I mean, you say, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to cover, to wear so that you can cover your shamefulness and nakedness, your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So who likes coffee? You like coffee? Yeah, yeah. Uh. All right. Who likes iced coffee? All right, here you go, Danny. You can have some iced coffee, but here's what I want you to do. I want to taste I want you to taste it. All right. It's not Chick-fil-A iced coffee, so I'm sorry, we're closed. Uh, it's not Starbucks because I can't afford it. <laughs> you like that? Pretty good? All right, you can have it. All right. All right, who likes hot coffee? All right, I'm not a big fan of iced coffee, but I like hot coffee. So here, take take a drink. Miss Tony, you can have, have that. Is good? Good, good, good. All right, so we like hot coffee. We like cold coffee. All right, I got another one here. All right, who wants to come and try it? You're like, I don't know about this. All right, Tim, come on up here. All right, this one's neither hot nor cold, but I bought it this morning, so it should be good. Describe that. All right, that is lukewarm coffee. I love you, but you can have that. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll get you another coffee. How about that? Okay, that'll work. So lukewarm coffee, there's not many people that I have met. There's some that's stubborn, right, that they're like, I love lukewarm coffee. Yeah, no, you don't. You're just trying to mess up my illustration. <laughs> not many people like lukewarm things, right? Maybe we don't like them extremely hot and we like it to warm a little bit. 
right, until we can drink it. But we don't really like it lukewarm. So that's lukewarm is where it reaches room temperature, right? The room and the t- climate makes it where it just is. At my house, I like to keep mine on 73 degrees. So the the whatever it is, it's probably going to be around 73 degrees, which people don't really like that. But here we are. Jesus is saying, you are to be either hot or you are to be cold, but not here in the middle where it's lukewarm. And so let's unpack that for a minute. So there should be a picture up on the screen of uh, Laodicea and just the region where it's at. There was a town that was called Hierapolis, and it was up in the mountains. It was about six miles up in the mountains from Laodicea. This town actually produced hot springs. It was water that was healthy with mineral deposits, so it could be used for all different kinds of things. Maybe it was used to purify things. So that was one body of water coming in to Laodicea. But then there's um, uh, Colossae. Colossae was a city that was also nearby, but their water was actually pure cold water. And a hot day, especially yesterday, what do you want? You want cold water. It's great for drinking. It, it just makes you feel good, right? And I drank a bunch of it yesterday because I mowed my yard, and I only got half of my yard done because it was so hot, I about passed out. So that was one body of water that fed into Laodicea. But Laodicea's water, uh, Laodicea was actually kind of like an aqueduct. Okay? That was around back then, and it was very common. It was where you transported water. What happened to the water of Laodicea was this hot, boiling water came in, and it mixed with this cool water, this cold water, and what it created was lukewarm water, and it was stagnant. It smelled, it was warm, and it was disgusting water. And so here's God saying to the church of Laodicea, you are like your water. You are like your water. You're neither cold nor hot. Because you are neither cold nor hot, you are lukewarm. Jesus is saying, you are like spit. You are going, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. To be very visual, this is the only time this is used in the New Testament, this word for spit. But let's be very visual here. This is what it communicates. It communicates gagging, hurling, or vomiting. Not very good, pleasant word to be called by Jesus, right? They were like vomit to him. They were not good for the body. So what happens when we get sick, right? Upset stomach, we get it out of our system. Our body is designed to get it out of our system. And that is exactly what Jesus was saying the church of Laodicea was good for. They were vomit to him. So let's look at that picture. Okay, because growing up, I heard this message quite a lot. And here's what it typically looked like. And it was this evangelist that would get up and get into the, the message. You know, he, he loved to get into it. And he'd say, you need to be hot, right? You need to be hot because being on fire for Jesus ignites people. But you don't need to be cold, right? You wanna, we want you hot, 
But if you are going to be one or the other, you need to be that. You can't be on the fence because the fence is bad. So it's better for you to be hot for Jesus or cold for the devil, but not lukewarm. I just want to rebuke that right now because that's false teaching. Because Jesus is saying cold water, hot water is good. Lukewarm is not. It wasn't that it was bad to be cold. Because cold, right, a cold water quenches the thirst. So as followers of Jesus, yes, let's quench people's thirst, right? The scripture says that we're supposed to be salt and light of the world. It's the same concept. To be cold water was to quench thirst, right? Just like hot water was used to purify things, we're to be both. It's the lukewarmness that is considered vomit in the eyes of Jesus. And the reason why I rebuke that is because where it comes from is typically where you have to be the best, right? you got to be on fire. And it's not wrong to be on fire. But let's don't take it and make this passage that something that's not. So cold, good, hot, good, lukewarm, not. So who's he talking to? We see that the letter is written to the church of Laodicea, but I don't know about you. When I read those words like wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, do you think that it's describing saints? No. No. When I think of saints, I don't think of these words, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. The church around Laodicea, they were after greed. They were after a love of money. But what Jesus says, he says this. But you do not realize, right, that you are naked, poor, blind, And he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can be covered from your shameful nakedness and salve for your eyes so that you can see. If he was talking to Christians, he would have different different wording here, but he didn't. So like I said, vomit isn't a part of the, the body. When I get sick and I go to the toilet, I don't say, oh, that's my body. See you later. No, it's out. It's gone. And that's what Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea, that you once were all for me. You once were hot. You once were cold. You once were thankful and living to please me. You once were in love with me. But you've turned, and you've went away from that. And so he's like he's saying, depart from me. So here's what I also want to address, though. That it's not about what we do that gets us into heaven. It's not about uh, us, you know, saying a certain prayer and going through uh, the routine 
that makes us followers of Christ. Okay? There's elements of that. But it says in Scripture that nothing can separate us from the love of our Father. But He also gives us free will. God wants us to choose Him, but He is not going to force anyone in this room, anyone around the world, to make a decision to follow Him. And so here He is living up to that when He's addressing the people of Laodicea. He's saying, you chose this. You chose to separate yourself from me. You chose to turn your mind's eye a different direction. You chose to be motivated by greed and love of money. And so, depart from me. If you want to get a glimpse of what the, the Laodicea church was, was like, I encourage you to go to Colossians. And I'll briefly read from things that I just see highlighted. Because we see that Colossians is very close to Laodicea. And in here, Paul is saying to, to the church, this letter, I want you to share it with those in um, Laodicea. And so he says to share this letter, because it's also, yes, it's labeled Colossians, but it's also for other people. So these letters of Paul traveled around the community. And so here's what he said. He said, you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He also says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in all the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. He says, whatever you do with work, at it with all your heart as for working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as, you re as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so if you, those are different things that this letter was saying to, to the, the church there. And they were basically, if you go and you unpack this, it's talking about a disciple that was under Paul and under Timothy and that discipled the, the, the people of these, two, these several towns around this area. And basically they're unpacking that, hey, you've heard this gospel message that was preached to you, live it out. And they were encouraging them. And so this is a church, the Laodiceans, they actually were in the gospel. They were in the kingdom. They were living according to the word. They were thankful for everything that he gave them. They were doing things that was pleasing to God's sight. Their heart was right. Their mind was right. They had repented of their sins. They were repented of their old ways, and they turned to follow Jesus. But what happened down the road was that they turned from him again, and they started following their own way. And so, yes, that might bring in some uh, theological things for you because that comes with Especially in America, we like to argue you're either once saved or always saved or you can lose your salvation. Here's what I'm wanting to say for you today to trump that debate because I don't even like getting into the debate. Are you saved today? Good. <laughs> right? Do you follow Jesus today? Good. That's what matters. That's what matters. But see, we, we, we can look here. 
that these are brothers and sisters that were following Jesus. They were doing great things for him. They were devoted followers. And they turned to where they receive a letter and said that they are vomit. For me, I don't want to be that. I don't want to ever turn and follow my way. I don't want to ever turn and follow the way of this world. I don't want to ever turn and follow the way of Salisbury. I want the church of Salisbury, yes, Mission House, but even bigger than that, to when we, if we ever receive a letter from Jesus, if he ever sent us a letter, that would be really cool, by the way, but if he ever did, that he would see a church that is loving people, a church that's thankful and generous and appreciates one another, that sees people with honor, dignity, and respect as we treat each other that way. That's what I want. I want to live my life that way. But it is our choice. It's our choice to follow the way of God or follow the way of man. So what does it look like to be a lukewarm person here in Salisbury? I love, there's a book, one of my favorite books is called Crazy Love. If you ever get a, a chance to read it, I encourage you to. Crazy Love was uh, written by a pastor named Francis Chan. And Francis Chan gave a profile of the lukewarm. And he says this, and I'm going to just list ten of them because he went on for like a whole chapter. <laughs> so I'm going to read this to you, direct quotes from him. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It is what is expected of them. What, it's what they believe good Christians do. So they go. Lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't interfere with their standard of living. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their, their sins. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sins. Think about that. Lukewarm people are moved by stories of people that do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and yes, indeed, part of their lives, but only a part. Lukewarm people will serve God and others but there are limits to how far they will go and how much time, money, energy they are willing to give. Lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than the average. But besides that, they really aren't very different from the typical unbeliever. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more than eternity in heaven. Lukewarm people, I love this one, lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so they, ne they never have to. They don't have to trust God with everything, uh, with something, they don't have to trust God when something unexpected happens. They have their savings accounts. They don't need God to help them. They have a retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God wants them to live. They have their life figured out and mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full, and for the most part, they're in good health. The truth is, their lives won't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. They stopped believing in God. Nothing would hardly change. 
And so here, of course, Jesus isn't going to leave it there. He's not going to just say, this is who you are. You are lukewarm. You are considered vomit to me. He says this, those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So earnestly, repent. We've learned about repent before here. Repent is a shift of one's mind. To shift your mind. So be earnest and repent. He says, here I am. So he says that to them, but where does he go? Nowhere. He's right here. He's right there. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. And them with me. So today, I ask you, do you need reviving? Do we need reviving? Would we be declared lukewarm by the eyes of God? Would we be considered hot or cold? I hope that we would be seen as people that are loving Genuine, honest, thankful, living on mission for Jesus in Salisbury. So I want to end with this. Are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? A thermostat tells you what the climate's going to be. If you come over to my house, people says it's cold there and they tend to put on socks and cover up with blankets. <laughs> if you go over to my house, you're going to see it's 73 degrees in my house. Um, because of our hardwood floors, I think it actually feels cooler in there. Um, but the thermostat is set on 73 degrees. So what's in our house is going to be 73 degrees. But if I was to govern that by just a ther- thermometer, what good would it be? A thermometer is designed to read what it is reading. So we use thermometers at, at work a lot, right, to test temperatures and um, in, in hot foods and cold foods. And, and so they, they're reading what it is, right? It is designed to read what it's going to be. So a thermometer, say I had some water sitting in my house, what's the thermometer going to say that it is? probably around 73 degrees because the environment is set that it is going to be 73 degrees. But the thermometer does not determine what it is going to be because the thermometer doesn't truly have any power to change what it is. A thermostat actually does. The thermostat, if I wanted to go down a degree, I would adjust it. If I wanted to go up a degree, I would adjust it. You hear the air being blown right now, which I love that because we've been here during the summer and it's been kind of hot, but I'm grateful for air. But there is a thermostat somewhere. I really don't know where in the school, but there is a thermostat that's driving that air condition. And so just like what's going on in Laodicea, the hot water, the cold water, We're functioning more like a thermostat. 
But what the lukewarm water was functioning as was more like a thermometer. See, a thermometer, whatever the culture around us is telling us to be, that's what it's going to say. But a thermostat drives culture. A thermostat can change culture. And so for revival to happen in our lives, we have to determine, are we going to be a thermostat or are we going to be a thermometer? In the revivals that we've seen and the revivals you read in the book of Acts and, and on, the revivals we talked about that happened in England, the revivals that we talked about that's happened in Wales and um, all over the world and Africa and Asia and China and what's going on there as we speak even. Um, the revivals that's happened in, in California as Azusa Street and, and so on. It was people that determined that they were going to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. That they were going to be either hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And so, I hope that you join with me in saying, revive us today. Revive us in this room. Revive us in our homes. Revive our families. Revive Mission House. Revive Salisbury. Revive all. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for... Your word, we thank you so much that you love us so much that you're there to discipline us when we need to be disciplined. You're there to rebuke us when we need to be rebuked, God. But please, God, I pray for the church of Salisbury, uh, not just those that's in this room, but including those that's in this room, that we would be a church that, that loves you. God, that's thankful, God, that is in all of who you are and that our desires are your desires. Our heart beats for yours. Our heart breaks for what breaks yours. And the things that we do, we do because we are guided by you. You say beautiful are the feet who bring good news. God, make our feet beautiful because we are driven by the gospel message. God, I pray over the people that's in this room, God, that you would re restore us God, in the right relationship that you would revive us. Maybe some are in here and we have just been going through the motions and we are what would be considered as dead. God, I pray that you would rejuvenate our bodies and give us new life, that in Christ Jesus, uh, so that we can go and, and live for you and that we would do things that's pleasing to you. God, I pray that repentance would happen for every one of us in this room. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.